Amen. You can be seated. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Outward Church. I'm glad you're joining us this morning. I see a lot of, a lot of new faces. I see a lot of young faces. Uh, and so we're, it looks like school is back in session or close to it. So we're glad that you're joining us this morning. Um, Outward Church is a church that was uh, started out of a college ministry. So we have a, uh, a passion and a love for, for college-age students. And so we're glad that you're joining us, and, and our hope is that you'd become integrated into the life of the church um, while you're here, uh, for the time that you're here, and uh, that God would use you uh, powerfully uh, for his name's sake. Uh, we're in the book of Ephesians, and what we do here at Outward Church is we just walk through passages, uh, and we kind of highlight what's happening in each one of these passages. And we try to illuminate what's actually taking place here. And, and so we're, we do less topical series, we do more expositional teaching, and the reason is, is because ultimately, I don't think you want my thoughts, I think you want God's thoughts. Ultimately, I, I don't think you want what, what I think about the, the, the scriptures, I, I, I think what you need to hear, I, I know what you need to hear, is the word of God in its fullness, and that that would transform you, that that would, that that would get into you, and that it would unlock something and allow you to become the person that God has called you to be. We've been walking through Ephesians chapter two uh, very slowly. Uh, in fact, the, the entire, I think we're over 30 sermons right now. We're only in chapter two, uh, verse seven, which I'll be focusing on today. Um, and we're proud of that. We, we, we love that. Maybe not in a prideful way, but we, uh, we love what God's doing in and through his word here at Outward Church. Uh, a while ago, I watched, a, I, I love documentaries, and so I watched uh, uh, the, the, the Last Dance, uh, which is uh, talking about the life of Michael Jordan. And uh, I don't know if you saw that, but I loved that documentary. But by the end of it, I did not love Michael Jordan. Like, like he was, I mean, by all accounts, like the guy just seems like a terrible person. I, I should not be talking this way about somebody, but I, I, that's, he put it out there. He just didn't seem like a nice guy. He was kind of vindictive and really proud about it. Like he would just find a way to be upset with people and be uh, mad at them. And that drove like this anger, this hatred kind of drove him uh, towards a real passion for, for playing or putting someone down or uh, in, in some way overtaking his opponent. And then I, I, I watched the documentary from, uh, uh, what's his name, Tom Brady. Which I, this is kind of unusual for me. I didn't used to watch sports documentaries. I do now. I, I really love it. And I really used to not like Tom Brady, right? I just, I, I mean, I'm a Seahawks fan. I hate the Patriots. I mean, they're, they're just, they are terrible people. They really are. And, and so uh, I, I, I really, I, they, they, they really aren't that much. I mean, I, I watched this documentary from Tom Brady. And by the end of it, I'm like, I love that guy. Oh, my gosh, man. I mean, it's just like you can't help it. Like, you just... This guy is so nice. Other than all of the F-bombs that he dropped, it was, it was amazing uh, just how, man, he just seems like a nice guy. Like, I'd love to hang out with Tom Brady. Like, that would be amazing. I'd probably sit there with my knees shaking or something, but it, it would still be fun, but I, I loved that documentary. Here's what I really loved about it is the way that he talked about his opponents. Like, when he lost, he was like, man, that guy had a great game. Man, that was, that was 
that was, uh, that was really cool what, what that guy did and, and talks about his teammates and encourages them and there's this like this brotherhood that happens there. Like there's this contrast between these two different guys and, I, and I, I was like, why is my heart warmed? And this sounds awkward to say by Tom Brady, right? Like why was I, why was my heart warmed by seeing this story? And the truth is, is, is because man, there's something about him that reflects the goodness of God. There's an imaging that takes place in, in him that kind of reflects the goodness of God. And I think that's a big statement to say about Tom Brady, but nonetheless, it's why we like some things about people is because this is truth. This is real. This is goodness at its best. But at the same time, like God is so much better than Tom Brady. God is so much better than Michael Jordan. God is so much better. He is so good. It's incomprehensible uh, how good he is and how great he is. And this just little verse right here kind of lays out for us something that is so different from our world. It's so different from our world. If you look at the, at the verse here, two, uh, 2 verse 7, it says, so that... In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, what's the so that there for? It's, it's there because it's saying like, man, we, we were fallen. We were, uh, we were dead in our transgressions. Uh, we have no hope. Uh, we're, we're like everybody else. And what happened was this, is that God was rich in mercy. He made us alive with Christ. Um, we've been saved by grace. And then it talks about like this very high and lofty language that says, and we've been raised up with him and seated with him in, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Like, so we're like, brought up and we're like with him and we're by him and we're near him and it says so that so that in the coming ages God can do something amazing and what is what is this amazing thing that God can do our world is straight up mean our world is brutal. I don't need to give you any illustrations of that because you know. Our world is incredibly mean. It's just straight up mean constantly. Like the systems and structures and everything that we set up, no matter how great America is, like there have been serious problems. I think we can acknowledge slavery, just one of them, right? Abortion, another. Like, like racism, sexism, classism, like uh, whatever. Like all of these things. Like our world is mean. We pride ourselves on being able to point out the faults of other people and say, aha, I caught you. Aha, you are a sexist. Aha, you are a whatever, a bigot. That our world prides itself on being able to point out the flaws of everyone and everything around us. That's what our world is good at. And we buy into that. What this passage offers you, what these just few words offer you is this, 
a power source that is above and beyond anything that you could possibly ask or imagine, it, it provides you with a deep, 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 endless well, an endless supply of kindness. Why? Well, part of the reason why the world is so mean is because every constituency, every group of people says, you know what? You know why the world stinks? It's because those dang people won't stop doing that. It's because these dang people won't start doing this. It's because all of these people are off. They voted for the wrong person. And as a result, now the whole thing's falling apart and it's terrible and now the world's going to hell in a handbasket and it's over. There, there's, no, there's no sense of hopefulness. There's no sense of like, man, I, I'm destined for greatness. There's no sense of anything like that. It's simply just this. It's like everyone is screwing up everything and as a result, I just need to point out those flaws because if I point out those flaws, then what's gonna happen is maybe the world will be set right because I have pointed out those flaws. And we'll gather a group on, uh, on social media and we'll petition and we'll, we'll gain power through numbers and we will put those people down until they're no longer existent in our country, in our family, in our world, in our city, whatever it is. Now I want you to contrast that with he has raised us up and he seated us in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, in like, is, is that a measure? It's like, it's an immeasurable measure, right? It's, it's like, it's beyond the ability to fathom what that is, like in the coming ages so that in eternity, Throughout the rest of time, throughout all of history, after time it stops, eternity, all of that, like in all of that time, there will be this. What, what, what is this that we are talking about? God says, I want you to come here. I want you to sit next to me. And I... I want to show you something for eternity. I mean, you think about the love songs that we listen to all the time. Like so many songs are about, are about love, especially on pop radio. And like, um, I'm going to love you forever and ever and ever. That's a lie, right? I would take a bullet for you. I would jump on a grenade like, man, does it really need to be violent? I mean, like, like what, what, is, what is up with that? Like, I mean, just, just song after song after song. That's just basically like, it, my love for you is eternal. It's, it, it is absolutely powerful. It will overcome everything. The oceans can't keep me away from you. Like, nothing can keep me away from you until we get married. And then I'm tired of you. And now I don't want to be in this marriage but up until that point, I'm with you forever, with the grenade, everything, right? That's what it is. It's a lie. It's a lie. Humanity cannot say that it will love you forever and ever and ever. This says, so that, 
in the coming ages. That is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It is to infinity and beyond, to quote Buzz Lightyear. It is beyond all things. All the kids just perked up uh, like, what? He's talking about Buzz Lightyear? No, it is, it is forever. We aspire to show infinite kindness, infinite love, but we are finite. We aspire to show that, but we're finite. God, on the other hand, is infinite. This is what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, you can only sin as a man, but God can forgive as a God. You sin as a finite creature, but the Lord forgives as the infinite creator. Like, like you can only sin as a man, but he forgives as a God. Like, in the coming ages, God wants to display something to you infinitely more powerful than anything that you have and can overcome all of your inhibitions. It can overcome all of your shortcomings. It can overcome all of your self-centeredness, all of your self-focus, all of your desire to make the world right by your own power, all of, all of those things God can and will. Why? Why, why is that? Here's the thing. The ultimate purpose of salvation is not so that you would individually be saved. That sounds like heresy, right? The ultimate purpose of salvation, it doesn't mean that doesn't happen, it just means the ultimate purpose of God is not that you would be saved, but so that he would be glorified. But so that he would receive glory in the coming ages, so that in the coming ages, like people, powers, principalities, whatever those things are, rulers, demons, Satan himself, all things everywhere for all time would see one thing, and that is the glory of God. The glory of God, that he would be glorified. Why is that important? From the very beginning of time, what you have is you have a world that is hell-bent, literally, on believing that God is mean. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, God comes walking back into the garden, and he says, Adam, where are you? And he says, I was hiding because I was afraid, because I was naked. Which points back to something else. That the serpent said to Eve, no, it's not a problem if you eat that. No, it's not a problem if you partake of that. God knows that you'll be like him knowing good and evil. See, God is actually mean, Satan tries to tell her. God is actually mean, he's keeping something from you. He's not letting you in on this grand secret. He's not doing that. God is actually mean. That, that's throughout the ages, that has been the thing. God has been unjustly criticized. God, God is actually mean. Sometimes we say it like this. If God is a good God, then why would he allow evil in this world? That's another way of saying is he is not good because there is evil. If God was a good God, 
If God was truly good, then what would take place is that these things would happen in my life or our country wouldn't be falling apart or the economy wouldn't be in a tailspin. If God was actually good, and all of those statements really point back to one thing, God, you're mean, and I don't like you. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. And God says, I will be vindicated. I will be seen for what I actually am. It's always been his plan. Why did he allow evil? I have no idea. I don't know that. You don't know that. The Bible doesn't even tell us why. But one thing I do know is this, is that God is glorified in and through in the coming ages. He has, he will show the immeasurable riches of his grace. You call me mean? Watch this. Watch this. Look at how amazingly gracious I am. It's, and it's not just like a small amount of grace. It is immeasurable. See, salvation is not just for me. It is for us, but ultimately it points to the glory of God. And it is like all of us who are the church are around as this great choir who are like, the glory of God. Like God is amazing, he's awesome. And all of creation and all of the angels, good, evil, whatever, are going, ah! He is glorified because he is kind. Don't you see what's going on in our world? Our world gets more mean and more mean and more mean. I mean, just send a kid to middle school and you'll see how mean the world is. Like everything evil in the world comes out in middle school and a little bit in uh, elementary school, and then also in high school, but it's mean. And God says, I am going to show the world the greatest good that could ever be. And the amount is immeasurable. It is beyond compare. It is incomparable, the NIV says. Talks about the riches of his grace. I want this to be seen. It is for my own glory, God says, and it's immeasurable, it's bountiful, it's beyond compare, it is out of this world, it is amazing, and it is in the coming ages, it is forever. God's the only one that can sing, I die for you, take a bullet for you. God's the only one. He's the greatest good. Why did he do this? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. It is beyond compare. Men and women, why are we so focused on ourselves? I, I, I've made no bones about this. Like the church is broken today. Broken. Because somehow, preachers like me have led people to believe that like, it's all about you. Let me give you what you want. You want this kind of service? I'll give you that kind of service. It's like a fast food chain. Like we figured it out. We got the lights right, except for this morning when the computer broke, right? <laughs> uh, like uh, like we, we have led people to believe that this is about you. It is simply for you. But this isn't about you. 
It's about him. So if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him, somehow you're okay with God maybe, but you're like, you're, you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, this is cool, what's this gonna do for me? This is not about you. It is about you and I and the world and everything living and breathing created being able to say, this is the greatest good. It is incomparable, beyond measure. It is amazing. And it cleanses us from our self-centered, self-focused, morbidity, anxiety, depression, anger, frustration, languishing, all of those things. You tired of languishing? Focus on these words. That he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The church, God's people for all time, throughout all generations, is a giant tapestry. It's a giant mural that God's just been painting on. Look at this. Oh, and look at this. Whatever that was, right? Like, oh, and look at this. What's he coloring it with? What's his paint? What's his, what's his, is it latex? Is it oil-based? Is it, what, what kind of paint is he using? It's grace. And what is grace? Grace is the kindness of God. Like, God is kind. He's absolutely, completely kind. And all that he wants to do throughout generations is to receive glory because he is the only one worthy of glory. More than Michael Jordan, more than Tom Brady, more than anybody else. He's the only one that's worthy of glory. And what is he doing? He's painting a tapestry. He's painting this massive mural that goes on forever and ever and ever. And it's basically, look at the kindness that I show to these people that I allowed to somehow sin just so, and I don't know this for sure, so don't take me on this. I don't say this very often. Just so I can just show my grace? Is that what it's for? I don't know, but it seems like that's what God's purpose was. You know what? I'm gonna allow it because I just wanna show how kind I am. I just wanna show how good I am. I just wanna show how amazing I am to these people and everything will glorify me that has breath. It is an amazing, an amazing thing. And it changes us. How does it change us? What's your future filled with right now? Uh, If you you read the news or listen to the news, really at any time, they make their money off of bad news, right? So, but if you look at it right now, it's especially bad. Like everything's falling apart. But that's not God's plan for his people. It's in the coming ages, I'm just gonna lavish them with kindness. Do you have a well of kindness that you're pulling from? 
Do you have a well of of grace that you're pulling from? Like God's grace, his mercies are new every morning. They just keep coming to me and he just keeps being gracious to me. He just keeps being gracious to me. That's why it's such a terrible lie when there's these other religions out there that say that God isn't gracious to you and he will strike you down if you don't obey him and he will uh, kill you. For, for some reason, but what, what this says is that this God is so amazingly gracious and it gives you something. It gives you everything that you need to not look at the world and say, hey, it's all falling apart. It's all a mess. It's all just terrible. And now you can say, but my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is built on the kindness of God. So what does this, what does this mean? Do you feel sinful? You feel like you keep screwing it up? God is glad to grace you. It is what he does. This is what he does. This is who he is. He just shows kindness. I give him rejection. I give him a lack of faith. I give him immorality. And he says, I'll take that. And here's your kindness in return. And I go, thanks, but no thanks. And he says, okay, I'll take that too. And here's kindness in return. And I go, yeah, it's getting kind of old. I'll take that. And here's some kindness for you for that. What, what is, what's he doing? He's just loving me and loving me and loving me and loving me. And when you have that source, what happens? What does this mean? It means ultimately that as a result, I get to show grace. This means that the Christian community, disciples of Jesus, are people of grace. It is a community of grace. Are we known for that all the time? No. We are a Christian community of grace that is very judgmental. We are a Christian community of people uh, that puts others down. That's what we're known for. Why? Because we thought that this was about us. Because we thought that somehow, man, what's God got for me? Go to a Bible study and this is what this means to me. Well, I don't know about what it means for you, but I, here's what I know, is that God meant something in there, and ultimately it points to his glory, for his goodness and his kindness that he's going to lavish and is lavishing on his church for eternity. And if we could just know the smallest amount of his kindness, we might be people who are exponentially different. It's not about the works that I do. It is about receiving, understanding the grace of God expressed in his kindness throughout the ages from now until eternity. So do you want to see a picture of of the kindness of God? Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Look at Jesus. Look at how he responds to people. Look at how he 
heals them. Look at how he provides for them. Look at his gracious words to horrific sinners, to sexual sinners, to drunkards, to people that don't know any better, to people that have rejected him and people who are against them when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's just the first time. And he says, there's more where that came from. There's an ocean of the kindness of God. There's an ocean that he is just gonna wash you with. He's just gonna keep splashing with it and just splashing with it. I got so much more. There's so much more here. I got more. There's more where that came from. There's more where that came from. Oh, you did that? I got more of that. God's kindness towards you is amazing. And it should lead us toward repentance. It should lead us towards repentance. And so we come together as a Christian community, as repenters. We acknowledge where we're wrong. We acknowledge our sin. We, we, we acknowledge our, our hatred. In just a second, I'm gonna invite the ushers to come forward uh, for communion. We acknowledge our, our, our hatred of people. We acknowledge how we have misused and abused the Christian faith. We've used it to, to bludgeon people. Instead of being a, a fountain of the grace of God, we are, we are definitely not that. So God, God changes us by the power of the gospel. He changes us. He transforms us. And he says, man, there's more where that came from. It's not just at the cross. It's in the coming ages, and it's for my own glory. So how do we glorify God? We image God. We image God by, by bringing kindness to our workplaces. We image God by bringing kindness to our marriage. We image God by bringing kindness into the church. We image God by bringing kindness into our, uh, our neighborhoods. We image God in all of those ways because of the deep well, the massive ocean, the eternal implications of God saying, I have an amazing plan in store. It's not really just about you, it's about me and how amazing I am and I am going to lavish you with this amazing grace. I'm gonna lavish you with this amazing kindness. Ushers, come forward, please. I'm gonna lavish you with everything that you could possibly need and well beyond, you're gonna sit there and you're just gonna go, man, I don't understand why he continues to be kind to me. I don't understand why he continues to, to give me more and more and more. And when you start to understand that, where you just go, oh man, where my sin increases, his grace increases all the more, and then, oh man, and then my sin increases again, and his grace increases all the more, and then it happens again and again and again, and God is glad to grace you that's what we're here to celebrate here. And this is a celebration.